So there are plenty of times you get wet. This is just part of it, one of the times. All right, so welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to come and serve the Lord with us together in a, on a day like this. My name is Rollin. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. If I don't know you yet, I look forward to getting to know you. And um, before we get started, I just wanted to um, say uh, not, only, not only a very special welcome to our guests, um, but I also want to um, say a great welcome um, to one of the uh, people who, um, and the couples who helped us actually get this church started several years ago. Today, we have have with us Caleb and Alyssa Bergman. In the back, can you wave at everybody? They're here from um, uh, Alabama right now. Uh, They're finishing their seminary work there, and they are here visiting uh, just different people in the congregation. So if you don't um, know them, get to know them. But as uh, many of you have been around for uh, many years, please uh, make sure you say your hellos and spread the love, okay? So welcome back to uh, Caleb and Alyssa Bergman. So uh, with that in mind, I'm going to jump right into it today. Um, We actually, Cole, uh, Sarah Baker, and I just uh, got back from Luxembourg, and uh, Luxembourg was a fantastic fantastic, fantastic time. It was uh, um, a mission trip that we took this year, um, responding to some uh, believers and open doors that we have over there for effective ministry. Um, We'll tell you uh, a little bit more detail as we get to talk to you um, personally, Um, but we just wanted to tell you that it is absolutely wide open. Um, If I drop in the middle of this uh, uh, sermon, it's because I got in at 2.30 in the morning uh, yesterday, and so I don't even know if I'm here or not, but I think that, (laughs) but I think that the good news is, is that while we were there, not only did a young man respond to Jesus to give his life to the Lord, um, and if, um, but there were almost everybody that we spoke with from the nations. Luxembourg is really a <clears throat> an intersection of the nations. Uh, you have people uh, not only who are native Luxembourgish, but you have people from France, you have people from Romania, you have people from the Middle East, you have people from Northern Africa, you have people all there gathered together, and all of these people that we were talking to from the nations, many of them were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time, for the very first time. Some of them um, had Catholic background or experience, and we were able to explain the word of God to them more adequately. But in the midst of it, we saw people who were declared atheists making a move from atheism to, you know what? I'm willing to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to actually download, thank God for free Bible apps. I'm (laughs) I'm willing to download a free Bible and actually read through the gospels. I'm willing to, you know, see what God has done and what he said about himself. And we have a couple there who's on the ground who is actually willing and able to follow them up and actually hope uh, get them connected to a a congregation there. And so with that in mind, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for um, even your future faith, because we hope to also continue to go back and continue the work there. Even as we uh, have established works in France, we want to continue with that two-hour bullet train ride away from Paris, continue in Luxembourg, and you are a part of that. So God bless you. Thank you so much. And can we give God a great thanks? So all of that went along with uh, this series that we're doing, which is called The Macedonian Call. And The Macedonian Call had to do with basically us developing a summer of missions, a mentality as in the book of Acts, as in the early church, where the gospel of Jesus Christ was not just to be held by those who already know him, but to be spread to the ends of the earth. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, the Holy Spirit, who he's going to give as a gift, is going to be poured out on the church 
church in power. And then as it's poured out in power, we as a church would be witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and literally to the ends of the earth. So as the Apostle Paul was actually going with his traveling companions throughout these different regions and literally to the ends of the earth as they knew it in the Roman Empire, what we see is that they ended up in a region called Thessalonica. And what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks is going through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, trying to understand if they were to be believers in the midst of a pagan community and an unbelieving society, what types of things after three weeks would Paul want them to know? I say three weeks because that's how long Paul had with them before being driven out of that city by persecution. So writing letters to them, what would he want them to know so that they could stand as the church of Jesus Christ, pleasing him in all of their ways and actually growing in the grace and knowledge of God. So today, if you're taking notes, what we're going to do is we're going to go into 1 Thessalonians 2, and you can open your Bibles there. We're going to talk about two things today, the church, as Paul described it, as a family, and number two, the church, as Paul described it by the Holy Spirit, as a force, meaning the fo- a force for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church as a family and the church as a force. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news towards us. We thank you that your gospel is living and active. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, and Father, even joints and marrow. And Father, it helps us to know not only who you are, but how to love you, how to live for you, how to receive the grace of God and serve you in all of our ways. God, we're asking you to help us to do that today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have it, uh, it's up there for you on the screen. And we're going to talk about, first of all, the church as a family. Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and he says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner 
worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right. So last week, what we did is we started off the letter talking about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ actually makes demands on us, right? That literally Paul ended the first uh, portion of Thessalonians saying that Jesus Christ delivers us literally from a wrath to come. He delivers us from a wrath to come because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his, um, his work of propitiation, because of his atonement, because of his sacrifice. What's happened is, is that God has made him a substitute for us so that we do not have to experience the wrath of God as we turn in repentance and faith to the living God in Jesus. But instead, he's taken the wrath for us. He's taken the punishment for us. And by his resurrection from the dead, not only do we have the ability to have forgiveness of sins, but new life in him. But as we receive this good news of the gospel, as we receive the good news of the new life and eternal life that he has for us, the question is, after that point, how should we live? How then shall we live? Many Christian authors have actually written books entitled things like this, right? How now shall we live as Christians in our modern age? Well, one of the things that we can clearly see here that the Apostle Paul is writing to is he says literally that the church of Jesus Christ should live as a family. The church of Jesus Christ should live and interact as a family, Now, in our world that's so fragmented and so pulled apart, many times relationships are dysfunctional, starting in the home. And so when we describe the word of a family, we're not exactly sure altogether what that means or altogether how to relate as a family as God intended it. So Paul uses this letter and uses this time to interact with the people of God and show them the types of things we should expect. When God brings you to himself through Christ, he literally brings you into a family, and the church is to function as a family with the dynamics of a family as we grow into spiritual health and maturity. Paul actually starts off in verse 8 saying this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. When you come into a church, it's important that you understand that God's bringing you into a shared life. That literally, biblical fellowship, as we we describe it, as we see the scripture describe it, is not just potluck dinners or, or actually lunches after church. Did anybody grow up in church where that was sort of the norm? You had church and then afterwards you had a meal together and things like that, which is great. But it goes beyond that. Biblical fellowship is what Paul's talking about here, a shared life with other believers. Now, in the midst of our present culture, it's often hard to conceptualize a shared life because the things that we gravitate to relationally are in a dysfunctional manner. Part of this generation's dysfunction with relationship is that as opposed to other generations like our parents or our grandparents' generation, people have an expectation today of others putting them first. And if if I'm going to be in relationship with anybody, I'm going to be in relationship with the people who make me their focus. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's almost a bit of myopia. I gravitate towards the people who are going to tell me how great I am or give me all of their time or all of their energy or all of their attention. When that begins to dissipate through either circumstance or distance, I begin to disconnect from the people who God has in fact given me to grow into maturity in Christ with because I'm not the focus of their worlds anymore. 
This is a pattern in our culture, and it's not the way that God intended it. In other generations, they knew that there was sacrifice involved in any relationship. There was effort needed for any relationship to be healthy. Not so in our generation. In this stunted culture, people not only gravitate to those relationships that will make them the center and focus, but what they do is they literally will gather around them people who want to live that way too. So you have people who are dysfunctional in their souls, needing or not receiving in a normal family unit the care, the affection, the attention that they needed in a normal family, natural family unit, looking for other people that they can almost siphon life from, right? So that's so much so that even when people get together in marriage, many marriages are unhealthy because they're looking for something from their spouse that only God can provide. They're looking to suck life out rather than, in a healthy manner, give love and life away. But what Paul's talking about here is he's saying, I'm calling you into the healthy dynamics of God. First, being filled up in him yourself, and then through an attitude reflecting his generous heart, giving to others in a shared life. For relationships to be healthy and fruitful, they have to be more than one-sided. They have to be more than one-sided if relationships are going to be healthy. That is not always the case in our present generation, right? People are often only talking about themselves. Have you ever gotten to know somebody at a uh, sort of a work function or in your neighborhood and they couldn't stop talking about themselves? You tried to get a word in and then as soon as you said something about yourself, they immediately turned it back to them? Oh, well, that reminds me of what I did the other day. It's about me, 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 I, 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 and it's only one-sided. But that does not give you the ability to actually engage in the type of shared life that God's talking about. You have to take an interest in others beyond what immediately concerns you. You have to hear their stories to earn the right to tell yours. This is what God's calling you to in the relationships in the church of God. Now, when we look back at Thessalonians, we see that there are multiple familial terms represented in this passage. There are mother and children, their brothers and fathers, And then he responds or describes all of them as being a part of the church. What's the point of these descriptions? The point of these descriptions is that as you continue to grow in Christ, there should always be in a family unit at least three relationships that are developing in your life. Three relationships that are developing in your life. First of all, the mother and father. If you want to be healthy in Christ, just as we were born again into the kingdom of God and we're learning as newborn children to grow into maturity in Christ, the good news is is that there will always be people who've gone before us, right? Isn't that good news? There will always be people who know a little bit more, have experienced a little bit more, have walked with God a little bit more, and can actually be of benefit to your development in Christ. And so when Paul's talking, he says, like a mother with her children, I was gentle among you. What that means is that who you need to ask the question, who is someone like a mother or a father that is mentoring me, helping helping me to mature in the things of God? If I'm going to be part of a family of God, I need to have mentorship helping me to come to maturity in Christ, right? That's part of the role of a parent. It's sort of like a parent doesn't just pay the bills, amen? 
Okay, I need to say that louder from, you know, across the way. Kids, it's not just paying the bills. It's helping you to come to maturity in Christ, learning how to be a functional, giving, beneficial member of society, right? In Christ, Paul's talking about uh, like a mother with their children. I'm helping you mature in him as a part of the church, even from a distance, right? And so in the family of God, he's going to give you the gift of mentorship. He's going to give you the gift of mothers and fathers. But he doesn't just say you need mentorship. You need people who are brothers or in some cases sisters, right? He says, brothers, I'm relating to you in this manner. And what are brothers or sisters but their peers? They're peers who you're on the same track, you're growing up together, you're wrestling it out, you're actually learning how to walk it out together. And as the scripture says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man or one woman sharpens another. You need to ask the question, who is someone that is a peer to you that is helping to push you further in the things of God? The mother or father helps you mature in the things of God. Go further than you've been before, right? But a brother or a sister, they help provoke you to love and good deeds in Christ, right? They're a person who's in the same season of life, maybe. Someone who actually can understand what you're going through. But there's somebody who's still prodding and poking you by the grace and spirit of God saying, come on, God's got more for us. How many of us have people like that in our lives? I thank God for that, right? I thank God not only for the mentors that I have speaking into my life, correcting, rebuking, training me, right? Even as a 40-year-old man, I'm like, listen, I'm not a child. But they say, listen, listen, you need it just as as much now and actually maybe even more than you did when you were a 20-something-year-old because there's more depending on your good judgment in Christ, right? In terms of your parenting, in terms of your being a husband, right? In terms of you serving in a church capacity. And then I have brothers who are continually saying, Roland, let's hold each other accountable in God, right? Let's confess our sin to one another so that we might pray for one another and be healed in the midst of stumbling and actually remind each other of the faith that God has for us to go on to greater exploits in him, right? That's what brothers do. But then also there's this third element that we often forget It's this element of children, right? Paul says, as a father with his children, I was gently exhorting you to actually stand in all of the grace of God, to actually be firm and assured in your faith, to actually go on in the things that he's called you to. The question you need to ask here is, who is someone that you are helping to disciple, helping to raise in the things of God? meaning investing the teaching and the doctrine of God in them so that you're passing on the faith to another generation. And it does not have to be based on chronological age. It can be based on the fact that you're just further along in the faith than they are. And so because of that, because you're one verse ahead, you can share that verse with them. Isn't that good news? You can share that verse with them. You can share that revelation with them and help them as children growing in Christ to come into all the grace of God. That's the family dynamic being described there that for our health, for our health, we need to see those three aspects continually working in our lives. 
is we're in a generation that's putting off things like marriage and children to later and later years. It's almost like the maturity that's naturally brought out of somebody through these institutions and through these realities is being delayed further and further. So you have people who are stuck in immature frames of mind, immature, you know, development, because why they have no one uh, that they're responsible to other than themselves. They have nothing that they're responsible for other than what's immediately in front of them, feeding themselves, desiring to go somewhere, and then doing it on a whim. Why? Because nobody else matters but me. But when you're in these family dynamics, it changes the way you think and how you interact with the church and the world around you. He says you need these mentors, you need these people who are brothers and sisters, and you need people who you're responsible for, pouring into them, even as the Apostle Paul did for the church in Thessalonica. That is biblical health. That is the church as a family rising up into all the things of God. You need to take a survey. You need to see how you're spending your time, your resources, your talents. Are they invested in this manner? Or are they only looking for your hashtag best life now? Right? This is what God's telling us. He's calling you to something more those trying to figure out their call in God even, we can say that through a family unit, there's a place for you and we can find the call of God within the community of faith. That's part of what families do, right? They help tell the uh, children in the family, they help tell the brothers and sisters what they're good at, what they can aspire to in God. There's a place for you in kingdom purposes here in Chicago. There's a place for you in the kingdom purposes in the nations. There's a man named Paul McClure who actually said this though, that it's not going to just be turnkey and come without effort. He says, for any team, if you don't fight for community, it won't happen. And that is especially true in a city like Chicago, is it not? It won't happen. Community is the intentional pursuit of being intertwined in each other's stories. It's being a part of the highs and the lows together, being hope for each other, having fun together, working together, encouraging one another, helping each other grow, and calling out the gold in one another. All in Christ Jesus. The atoning work of Jesus Christ made this possible for us. When he sacrificed himself on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, his blood was spilled to cleanse us, to draw us near to God the Father and make us a family. Though through his resurrection from the dead, he offers us not only eternal life, but a new life of relational dynamics different from the uh, dysfunction from whence we sprang. That's the good news. When he says repent and believe the good news, it's not just that you would be saved, but it's that you would have faith for new family dynamics. Believe the good news, he said. That's part of the promise for you. But the church is not just a family. It's also to be a force for the gospel. Let's continue on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Paul picks it up there and he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, who were Gentiles, as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. 
so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more, <clears throat> the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And that's just the truth in the gospel. That's just the truth in the kingdom, right? The only thing we're going to take with us is not our toys. It's not the wealth we've amassed. It's not any degree, not any title, not anything. The only thing we're going to take is God in his righteousness covering us, right? To stand before him as holy, blameless, and pure because of what Jesus did for us and the other people that we take with us. The other people that we take with us. He said, he who dies with the most toys still dies, but you can have people that you're presenting as an offering before the living God, as a joy, a crown, an offering to him, saying, this is my joy, my crown. In this earth, the people I've sown my life into and invested the kingdom into. It's been the eternal thing that I've done. So many people look back at the end of their days and find that they've wasted their lives because the things that they were giving their energy and strength to were wasted, that it doesn't last. But with the kingdom, you're giving yourself to eternal things, things that won't burn up, things that won't dry up, things that won't be stolen from you. He's saying give yourselves to things of the kingdom that last. It's the people and your impact in their lives. Now, whenever Paul's making this distinction, some of you might say, well, is Paul anti-Semitic when, he, when he's talking about the Jewish people resisting the gospel going forward? The answer is no. Paul was Jewish. Okay? Paul was Jewish, and not only was he Jewish, but the, the, the majority of believers in the early church starting in Jerusalem were Jewish. But he had an understanding as a Jewish person from Jewish lineage that it was particularly grievous when anyone stood against the gospel advancing because the commission of Israel has always been to be a blessing to the nations. Starting in Genesis 12 with the Abrahamic covenant, right? He said, I'm going to bless you and you'll be blessed, right? Whoever blesses you is going to be blessed. Whoever curses you is going to be cursed. And all nations are going to be blessed through you, primarily through the coming of the Messiah, through the coming of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who is going to bring salvation to the world. And all of his ways that were to be spread amongst the Gentiles of that time. You think about it, and if you actually study Exodus, even in Exodus, when the Israelites were being brought out of their slavery in Egypt, there were others who went with the Israelites, saying, hey, listen, I've seen these plagues. I've seen the living God. Let me come. Sign me up, right? Sign me up for the things that God wants to do. They were participating, trying with all their effort to acknowledge the living God, and that was a responsibility of the Israelites as a force for the good news. Looking ahead to the Christ in their time, in our time, looking back to what he's already accomplished. Looking back to what he's already accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. The church is to be a force for this. Now, with that as an understanding, you ask yourself the question, well, if I'm a family, I'm part of a family unit, and we're supposed to be this force, how do I find my place in it? How do I find my place in it? Practically, 
Because it's, it's good when we're nodding our heads in a church service, right? Yes, amen. I agree. That's what we should do. Yes. Yes. Okay? But on a practical level, how do you involve yourself as a part of the family unit and being a part of that force for the gospel? Well, I'd like to submit to you that, yes, encounters with the living God and dreams and visions and burning bushes and prophetic words do occur. That's all throughout the Bible, right? That's one way to encounter God and actually being mobilized for what he wants you to do. However, you are called into the work of God most often through daily circumstances and human interaction. Through daily circumstances and human interaction, right? Many of you can think through that in terms of even the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? There was no sign from heaven that the Good Samaritan should help the person who was right in front of him in need. While the priest and the religious person passed by and were like, no, 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 I don't have time for this. I'm waiting for my sign before I get involved in the things that are actually important to God. No, they actually responded to the opportunity the Good Samaritan did to what was right in front of them. But I'd like to take a look back just very briefly at one of these portions in Acts that we already looked at. When Paul was inviting, inviting a young man named Timothy to actually join him in the purposes of God so he could be part of the force of good works that God was accomplishing through his church in the earth. And so instead of looking for an invitation, <clears throat> instead of looking for a voice only, he began to look for an invitation. You began to, he began to, in his context, recognize the invitation into service as the voice. The invitation became the voice of God that he was looking for to accomplish his purposes. Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. He said, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there, okay? So somebody already serving the Lord. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy, okay, let's repeat that. Paul, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for you to join me, but that's fine. Paul wanted, you can, Paul wanted Timothy, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Did it say anything about him getting a dream or a vision from God? Did it say anything about the heavens being torn open? Hello? Did it say anything about an earthquake? Did it say anything extraordinary except Paul wanted Timothy? Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul was already going into the known world, preaching the gospel, seeing churches birth, seeing actually the kingdom of God advance through his efforts, right? Paul saw this young man, Timothy, saw that he was involved as a disciple in the church doing the things of God in that locale. So he said, listen, God's got even more for you. I want you to come with me. Come with, right? Anybody ever text that to friends? Hey, listen, we're going out tonight. Come with, right? So like, listen, Paul's like, come on with me. I want you to accompany me. And he took him. It was crazy. And as a grown man circumcised him. Hello. As a grown man, he's like, Paul's like, yeah, come on with me. But one caveat, we're going to have to circumcise you. See, 
Okay, I was anxious before that, but now, right? (laughs) No word from God even. Doesn't say that Timothy got this word from God saying, the Lord will be with you. Your circumcision will be of me. No! He just got an invitation from this radical named Paul. And because of that, he circumcised himself, and then they went all throughout the known world preaching the good news. And this young Timothy eventually became one of the overseers, not only to the churches in Macedonia, but also beyond that. When you read the letters first and second Timothy, you see that he was writing to him as he joined him in kingdom and gospel purposes based on an invitation. Based on an invitation. So all of a sudden, let me get, make this real practical. You see family dynamics first. You're joining family dynamics as a part of the church. And then you find your purpose. Yes, sometimes by those dreams, visions, prophetic words, and otherwise. But otherwise, through invitation. Somebody saying, hey, I think you would be good at this. Please come help me. Help me serve in children's ministry. Help me on the worship team. Help me with the greeting team. Help me with hospitality. Come on a mission trip. How about this? Stay behind after the mission trip. Goodbye. Right? It's like, listen, these are the things based on invitation. The invitation was the call of God. Stop making it so spiritual that you miss God altogether. He's saying these are the dynamics by which God moves in power. In power. And I love how C.S. Lewis talked about it. He said it this way in The Weight of Glory. Anybody ever read that piece before? The Weight of Glory? Okay, it's a good one. Recommend it. He says, we are always falling in love or quarreling, looking for jobs or fearing to lose them, getting ill and recovering, following public affairs. If we let ourselves, we shall always be waiting for some distraction or other to end before we can really get down to our work. The only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. Favorable conditions never come. And how many people can say amen to that? That's life. What he's describing is life. Right? What he's describing is life. What Paul was saying is in, at the beginning of the, that portion of the letter to the Thessalonians, he said, in the midst of much conflict, in the midst of much conflict, not while everything was peaceful, not while everything was going well, not while everybody was like, I was waiting for you to come and preach Jesus to me. He said, in the midst of much conflict, we preach the gospel to you. We advanced as a family. We were forced for the gospel so that people were coming from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. In the midst of much conflict, they weren't waiting for a sign. Their sign was not only what God had already said, but that invitation. He said, listen, if there's a door open, if there are people breathing, okay, here, let me make it a little bit more practical. If there are people breathing, then that's an open door. We're not going to get there yet, but I love one of my favorite portions of Scripture is Paul in Athens. In Acts 17, it said that he was going into the marketplace and was distressed by all of the idols that he just saw, that he saw around him. Anybody ever distressed by the idolatry you see in our city? He was distressed by it, saying, this isn't right. 
And so he did, he did what? He reasoned, how often? Daily in the marketplace. With people day after day. Marketplace means place of business. Marketplace means where you're spending the lion's share of your time. Whoops. He said he reasoned with people in the marketplace day after day with those who happened to be there. He wasn't even waiting for a word of who to talk to or how to talk to them. This is what I always say to people when I'm preaching to them. He says with those who happen to be there. How do I know who to preach to? With those who happen to be there. And if they happen to be in front of me, it happens to be their day. That's right. That's exactly right. Went to go pick up my kids on the train yesterday. Sat down next to a young man. I saw the fear in his eyes. I was like, calm yourself. It happens to be your day. <laughs> he was sitting on the inside. I'm a big man. I blocked him from the outside. He was going nowhere until he had to get off. I'm just pointing with you. I did not trap him physically. But, <laughs> but he happened to be there. And so the good news was proclaimed. The church is a force. Not in the midst of ideal circumstances, but despite the non-ideal circumstances. The church is a force, having the encouragement to do so. Why? Because we're constantly involved in the family dynamics. We have the encouragement from mentors. We have the spurring on from brothers and sisters who are peers saying, finish this race. Christ Jesus is alive and well, and he's empowering us to do it. And we also have people who are like children and we're investing in, saying it's not just about us, it's about the next generation too. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, always thinking multiple generations down the line. And he said, what began with you? Pass it on. Why? Because you're a force to be reckoned with because I'm the king and I'm the force driving you. I am, I am the living God, he says. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the ever-present Holy Spirit that empowers us for this good news. Amen? So our appeal to you is to, today, ask those questions, starting in the family unit. Do you have family dynamics in the church of Jesus Christ? Where are your mentors? Where are your brothers and sisters that you can walk with? And who are you, in fact, investing in? And then as you do that, where have your invitations come from? And let me tell you something. If you've not received an invitation yet to be a part of kingdom purposes, please come today. Don't leave home. Do not leave this place without talking to something. We have an invitation waiting for you. There's a whole lot of work to be done here in Chicago and in the nations. God Almighty has a place for you. And most importantly, if you don't know Jesus today, it's your opportunity to turn. It's your opportunity to be reconciled to him through the cross, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, and be welcomed into the family of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have made your gospel not only plain to us, but that you've called us by that gospel into a family to actually be a force for your kingdom. And I just pray, first of all, that everybody in here, no matter where they started from, that, Father, they would have great revelation as to where they are in you and that family dynamic. God, if they don't have mentors, Father, we pray that you would identify mentors for them. 
even in this house, if they don't have brothers and sisters that they can really walk with, relate with, build one another up. And Father, we pray that they would, walls would come down and that they would be able to engage others in things like community group and others to really grow in the grace of God together. And Father, we're also asking that we'd come to a place of maturity where we're looking to invest our lives in those coming after us to make disciples of all nations. And God, I pray that if anyone does not know you here, that God, today would be their day. That even as you proclaim today is the day of salvation, that God, you would bring people by your kindness to repentance and faith in your Holy Son. And I'd like to pray for anyone now, just as you're reflecting on God. Is there anyone at all? we just like to make sure. Is there anyone at all who says, you know what? I've been living outside of the family of God. I've been living for myself. I've been living for my own pursuits, my own ways and selfishness and anything that I could do on my own. But today I want to actually say, Jesus, I submit to you. I want to proclaim you as Lord of my life and turn my life over to you and actually become a part of the family that you're offering me. Is there anyone at all like that in here? If that's you, you can raise your hand. Okay. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and not only pray for you, but also make sure we meet with you after so that we could talk to you about next steps. Well, Father, we do just pray that everyone here would be found in the grace of God, that they will walk in these family dynamics, and that we'd honor and please you in all of our ways. In Jesus' name.